Welcome to the Soul Talks podcast, where we equip pastors, leaders, and other men and women in ministry to thrive with Jesus in their life and leadership. Now let's join Bill and Christy Galtier, doctors in psychology, spiritual directors, and founders of Soul Shepherding. Hello, friends. Welcome to Soul Talks. Uh, Pastors, leaders, soul friends, however you're serving the Lord, this is a place for you, and we're going to invite you into a conversation. Christy and I are so excited to have our good friend Steve Carter here with us. Welcome, Steve. Hey, guys. It's such an honor to be with you on this podcast. And we are here with a guy in the background named Mark Miller at the Historic Agency. Really appreciate Historic. He's been a, a great friend to Soul Shepherding and also to your ministry, Steve, Craft and Character. Yes, yes, totally. I mean, they they are uh, friends, but more than anything, I feel like strategic wizards. And yes. uh, <laughs> just been an amazing help. Yeah, incredible combination of church uh, strategy and technology and just a lot of the love of Jesus That's right. in there. So, Christy, this is fun, huh? It is. We love to team together with others of God's children and run with him and see what God will do. So as we talk to you, we are in Gilbert, Arizona, so it it is hot, (laughs) but we've got a cool spot in the air conditioning here, so pull up a a seat or just uh, open up your your ears and your heart if you're on a walk somewhere, and let's have a soul talk. So uh, Steve, your your new book, uh, The Thing Beneath the Thing, is just coming out, and so fun. We got to dive into that last night, really enjoying what you're writing about there. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fun concept because I think for, for many of us, we often wonder, why did I say that? Mm. Or, or if you think about Paul's great words from, from Romans, like, why do I do the thing I hate? You know, the thing I want to do, I just don't do. And the, the, the thing I, I do, I just can't, I just, I just find myself hating what I do. And so I've just wrestled with that. I think for being a pastor for 20 plus years, um, where people have come into my office and just heartbroken mm-hmm. over the choices or the decisions. And I don't think anybody wakes up and goes, you know what today I want to do? I want to train wreck my relationship. Mm. I want to sabotage my marriage. I just want right. to lose my integrity. Um, but somehow little choices after little choices after little choices. And um, for me, I, I just found myself getting underneath the surface. And that's what I feel like you guys do so well in the ways that you shepherd is that you invite real healthy, honest human conversations to get after what I often call the thing beneath the thing. Yeah. So you're exploring sort of the unconscious dynamics in our behaviors and how we relate and, and in our spiritual life. And so there's a lot beneath the surface. And that's what you're helping us to understand and really accessible language and inspiring stories. I mean, even how you open the book, I, I, that story about the moment of madness, you know, tell us that story. Take, take us into, and, and you're back in Chicago at this point where I'm from Chicago. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so we, I was uh, leaving my grandparents' house. There was kind of a snowy day and we're driving back and I'm in a little Honda Civic with my wife and my nine month old. And I think we're just kind of feeling, uh, just kind of nostalgic leaving my grandparents. Uh, we had a move that was coming up to move to Southern California and it's snowing when all of a sudden we're driving and like a huge chunk of ice hits our windshield. And I, a, a car starts to swerve and, and as I'm like kind of cortisol to the max, <laughs> yeah. like, like what just happened? I realized that didn't come from the sky. Someone must have thrown that. Mm. And then like the the inner detective takes over. I turn the car around. I leave my wife and nine month old, not smart. And I see something running off in the distance. And I'm like, I'm gonna 
find you. And I cross the, the, the lanes of traffic. I try and jump an embankment. I don't make it. I, my, my pants are now soaking wet, freezing cold water, but I still see these people. And I'm screaming, I called 911. I know you threw a chunk of ice at me. I'm going to find you. And I'm chasing them through this field that leads into like this suburban residence. And because I've watched CSI religiously, like I know, I know what to do. I close my eyes in the middle of the street, just listening for a sound. I hear a garage door go down, three doors down. And I, I run to that door, knock on the door, and an older gentleman answers the door. He's like, can, you, can I help you? And I got soaking wet pants. I'm like, did, did, did anybody just come in here? Um, and he's like, yeah, my, my, my grandson and his friend. And I'm like, can I talk to them? And he's like, yeah, for sure. And the grandson comes, friend comes, they're shaking. They're like sixth graders. Mm. And I look at them, and as I'm looking at them, I can almost sense the Spirit of God whispering to me, Steve, what's really going on? Mm. I mean, you're, you're here with soaking wet pants. You've been screaming at sixth graders. Mm. Your nine-month-old and wife are on the side of the road. Like, who's the crazy one? Hmm. And it was like in this moment where I'm like looking at these two, but I'm like, what is happening? And so I just look at them and go, nice shot, guys. And I walk away. Hmm. And as I started to reflect on it, I realized we were on the verge of a move. I was saying goodbye to my grandparents. Uh, the people who had bought our house supposedly that day had backed out. Hmm. And this is like 2008 when real estate was changing. And I, I just had a moment of absolute freak out. And this chunk of ice gave me an excuse and an outlet to channel all of that energy and sadness and fear somewhere. And unfortunately, I, I channeled it towards sixth graders. <laughs> and... I think what I began to realize, I called my mentor the next day and I just said, hey, can I just tell you what happened? And he just laughed and just said, welcome to the thing beneath the thing, the relentless pursuit of getting after what's really going on. And that just has always stuck with me and realizing, gosh, like when we don't have control or where we lack trust in God or where there is kind of... Um, really these wounds that our stories picked up over years and years and years that we've just not wanted to deal with. Um, God's so kind. He's going to keep giving us opportunities to trust him and to get healing. And I feel like this has just been my personal journey and some language that's hopefully accessible and helpful and invites people to get after that, the, the deeper things. Yeah, you know, we, we, I think we all can relate to this story, Steve, because in one way or another, we've experienced these different types of volcanic eruptions yeah. or, or steamings, you know, it's coming out, and w whether it's uh, an anger outburst or a panic attack or an outburst of, of tears in the middle of a, of a, of a conversation or a setting that's difficult or, or a compulsive behavior that, of drinking, eating too much, uh, these kinds of things show us there's something more uh, than's at the surface here. There's something going underneath inside of me that's erupting here. Yes, it's so true. And, you know, we, we all have Chicago roots, you know. And so Chicago is the third largest city in the U.S. It's my favorite city. Um, but it is a pothole capital of yeah. the world. I mean, there's so many potholes there that you can, if you hit a pothole, you can call 311 and literally report a pothole. And so one day I was driving, I hit this pothole, 
I know I have a flat tire. I call 311. And literally, the, the rumor is if, if someone's reported that pothole and the city of Chicago hasn't fixed it in time, they'll pay for your car's repairs, which no wonder the city's going bankrupt. Yeah. But that's another, that's another podcast. But I, I call this lady and report it. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. This one hasn't been reported yet. And she's like, I ask her because I'm just the teacher in me, curious. I'm like, how you have a, a, a hotline dedicated to potholes. How many potholes do you guys fill in? And she's like, well, you know, it's interesting. Like from January 1 to March 20th, like 2018, do you know how many potholes we filled in? I'm like, no. But she has me guess. I get it wrong. Finally, she tells me. She says 108,000. In 100 days, 108,000. Wow. wow. And... I started thinking to myself, oh, my goodness. She goes, we even have a pothole tracker. And literally on the city of Chicago's <laughs> website, they have a pothole tracker. And, and what's amazing is, you know, potholes are just caused by water freezing, asphalt can't expand, and all of a sudden the, there's a pothole. But sometimes there's some kind of um, leaky sewage pipe or some erosion that's happening underneath the surface. And so when the team goes out to inspect, they go, oh, this is just a little bit of asphalt. We can cover that up good check the pothole tracker we're good to go but sometimes in their inspection they realize there's something so much deeper going on and i came to realize we all have potholes mm -hmm. from our story but if we don't deal with our potholes in a healthy way they can quickly become sinkholes and there was a sinkhole in chicago in 2017 where an older gentleman was driving and the whole road gave out mm. and he dropped almost like two stories and he ended up being okay but millions and millions of dollars of collateral damage and the same thing's true culturally, right? When we have people in our own life or our friend's life who haven't had the courage to go after those potholes and it becomes a sinkhole, it affects kids, it affects churches, it affects our witness, it affects our souls, it affects our ability to be the people that, that Christ desires and hopes for each of us to be. And so this book really is helping you address the potholes so that they don't become sinkholes. And THING is, is this acronym that I just kind of, uh, one day walking wrote it down and it's triggers because when we get triggered it's the setup that sets us off we're going to go somewhere and typically we tend to go to hideouts you know it's where we go to a numb or escape our story or to insecurity where it's the false stories we create about ourselves whether lesser than or we power up or it's the narratives we get triggered and we start creating false stories about other people but also it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And I think when we get triggered, it can be a moment for God's grace. And that grace is that gift that makes us whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. And so this book is just a journey to help people understand what triggers you and what are your potholes. And let's get after it before they become sinkholes. And what are those specific hideouts or stories you tell about yourself or stories you're often creating about others? And what if you could actually have the courage to invite grace? And really, it's if you, if you step back fully, it's my attempt to talk about what sanctification is about. Um, I feel like it's a too many syllable word and we've, it's almost like a lost art, but trying to help us understand what our lives could be like if we were whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. So good. Love that. And so appreciate even just your story there of your moment of madness and the way it was a defining moment for you because God's grace really broke in in some ways there. It broke in when you hearing the spirit say, what is, you know, yes. going on, Steve, what is the thing under the thing yes. here? What's this really about? It's not about sixth graders throwing ice. Yes. And you responded to that grace. Mm -hmm. You didn't keep going in the direction you had going. You didn't 
you didn't respond with all of the other things in your acronym there. You actually responded to the grace, and you gave grace mm. to them. Mm. And then you were so wise to go and call your mentor mm. and take some time to really reflect and get in touch with what you were feeling. There was grief here for you. There was stress. Yeah. There was a fear trigger about your house. Mm. There was a lot of unknowns, a lot of change in your life at that time. And so I just love the way that you're modeling mm. here healthy soul care, healthy checking in and, and interacting with the Lord, bringing that into your relationship with God, being emotionally honest with him. Well, and I'm curious because, you know, you, your work has, has greatly influenced me in uh, some of the stuff I've seen online. Um, your most recent book I just thought was fantastic. But why do you both feel like it's so hard for people um, to access the that those deeper feelings that when you you named it so well like the stress or the the fear or the lack of trust like why 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 is that i mean you both are counselors and you know just the people who have just been legends in and and sh the shepherding conversation of the soul like wh what what have you discovered and seen i think it's uh, really hidden to us that um in order to um experience and understand and uh, get grace down into the depths of our personality we need someone who goes there with us mm -hmm. and we really need someone who goes there first and so as Christians we always say well yeah that's Jesus and that is for sure true but w we also need a Christ ambassador 2nd Corinthians 520 and you know we all hear that verse you know we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God, and, and the message is, is great with a paraphrase there, become a friend of God's, he's already a friend to you. Yes. And we hear that and we think, yes, that's my call. And that is, that's what Paul is saying. But what we don't see is the flip side of it is, well, but I need a Christ ambassador too. And that's not only to help me cross the line and come to initial faith in Jesus, but it's an ongoing process. And so the normal way that the scriptures talk about this, of course, is as the body of Christ. And so or, or Jesus giving us his new commandment, love one another. And so we really need to work this stuff out in relationship. And what people d don't tend to understand is that as it comes to this, the, the thing beneath the thing, the deeper stuff in our life that you're writing about in your book, is that these emotions, these insecurities, these places of compulsive behavior, the brokenness, the sin, we... we some of this stuff we might sort of be aware of in like an intellectual ascent kind of a way where, I, you know, I recognize that or I remember this outburst or this problem or this, this you know, reaction I had. Uh, but to actually go there in a way like to experience it, to feel it, to, to be that little kid that was abused or neglected or to feel that, that place of, of insecurity or shame or, or deep fear, to feel that we need somebody who goes with us and they actually need it. what empathy does when you have a, a pastor, a, a mentor, a spiritual director, a soul friend, someone that is, is listening to you and caring for you, if they're really effective and well-trained, they actually, through empathy, go there before you mm. because somebody's done it for them. Right. And of course, God has done it for them, but that's been enfleshed for them in a relationship. And so they know like the questions to ask and then the way to, to listen. And they know how to read the body language and, and sense the feeling and say, you know, it seems that maybe you feel discouraged. And then to pause there and let the person feel that and find their words for it and, and that sort of thing. So that relational process, uh, we believe, is just absolutely 
uh, central to discipleship. And just love the way you're writing about this, Steve, in a way that's very accessible. Just lots of stories that are, are very engaging. It's like, oh, I can relate to that. I remember being the guy that was throwing the snowballs in Chicago and running from that guy. And that could have been me. And I remember being that dad. And yeah, I've, I've been driving crazy sometimes. And, and I, you know, you get behind the wheel and it's like, get all this power and I'm angry. And so. yes. It's, it's, it is wild. I, I remember, so I played basketball at Cal State Fullerton, and play is not the right word. I, I sat at the bench, but I got free shoes. And so I remember we, we went out to uh, Manhattan, Kansas. We're playing Kansas State, and we're, we're doing warm-ups. And I'm super excited, like just, just the atmosphere, student section, student section screaming, taunting me. They're yelling at me, coach's son, which is hilarious because there's no way you could be on the court unless you're the co- unless you're the coach's son, which I wasn't, but it was amazing. So we go in a locker room, and I and maybe one other guy were the only Christians on the team, and I'd always been praying and hoping to be like a witness for our team. And I remember we're in a little huddle before the game, and coach says, "All right, close your eyes," and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, we're gonna pray." He's like, "Bow your heads." I'm like, "This is amazing. This is what I've been praying for." And then he leads us in a visualization exercise. And it was, I'd never done this before, but he goes, I want you to imagine being on the court and they're in man-to-man defense and all of a sudden you get double teamed. How are you going to respond? I want you to imagine that you just turn the ball over and the student section is just taunting you. How are you going to respond? I want you to imagine missing an easy shot. How are you going to respond? And he walked us through 10 of these questions. And I don't think it fired us up, but I remember being in this moment going, this was genius because all of a sudden I was playing it forward. Um, And I've done that out of negative actions. Like you don't want to choose this in because it's actually going to lead to some pain, but never have gotten ahead to go, I'm walking into this meeting. What's it going to stir up in me? And then if it stirs up or this person triggers me, how am I going to choose to respond? Am I going to lose my witness or am I going to keep my witness? Can I, can I respond from a place of grace or a place of anger? And I just, I remember just that one little exercise and a spiritual director doing a similar thing going, wow. And now for me, it's like one of the ways I start my day going, what do I have on my schedule? And God, how do, how do I know? Is there something that might trigger me? Okay. I don't like being stressed and showing up late, so let's leave 10 minutes early. And I know I'm 50 minutes from Gilbert, so we'll leave an hour before I'm supposed to be there because it just allows me to enter in with more freedom. And I think the more that we can get ahead of our day, instead of having our day happen to us, the more that we can pray into our day, the more that I think we can walk into grace in a, in a real and tangible and whole way. It's so insightful. You know, we call that a, a watch and pray discipline. Yeah. After what that. Jesus was teaching Peter, you know, he, he says, hey, Peter, you know, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And, and this is in the context where Peter is saying, you know, Jesus, I'm going to die for you. I'm not going to uh, deny you. No way. I'll, I'll do anything for you. Yeah. You're the Messiah, you know. And, and Jesus is, is basically saying, you know, Peter, I, I love your heart. It's awesome. And I love having you follow me. And I love your energy. But you don't realize that you've got some parts of you that aren't ready to do what you want. And so your, your flesh, your natural human abilities are, are weak. And so Jesus gives him a teaching, a prescription, a, a soul care practice. Yes. He says, you know, watch and pray. Let me show you how to do it. We're here in the garden now. We're going we're gonna to pray because the cross is coming. There's going to be persecution and suffering. So let's, let's essentially saying let's visualize that. Let, let's imagine that 
that situation. Now, what kind of person do you want to be? Where is God in this situation? How are you going to draw your, your nourishment and your peace and your grace and your power from God in this situation? Of course, Peter didn't learn in the garden. He fell asleep. But later in Acts in the upper room, all those days in quiet, you know, yes. he's learning. And then the Peter we see in Acts and through the epistles is a very different Peter. And one of the reasons is because he's learning this discipline that you're writing about. I think it's amazing that you bring that up because, you know, I think for so many of us, the we fall asleep. You know what I mean? It's like we're, we're asleep at the wheel. You know, we, we don't know how to access that. And I think, Peter, I'm so grateful you brought that up around Acts because he he didn't get it. And I think sometimes I'm like, oh, I didn't get it. Like, I, I'm not going to do, I can't do that practice. I can't do, no, but he, he, he was able to put it into practice. And like his life was radically transformed. And, you know, maybe you're listening on and you're like, man, I, every time I try to get after the thing beneath the thing, or every time I try to enter in, I, I don't do it right. Just know you're in good company and because Peter, me, um, all of us have, have had that journey. But I, I love that you were able to showcase that full picture of Peter and why and how he learned that watch and pray and what it meant for the kingdom um, once he fully put it into practice. Well, we need these examples of yeah. people. We need examples like in Scripture, but we also need examples like you, Steve, people mm. that are doing the work, that are willing to take courage to identify what are my triggers, mm. what are my hideouts, what are my insecurities, you know, what, what are each of these narratives that are driving me? Because we've learned these coping mechanisms, these ways of survival early in life. Some of these have started unconsciously. They've been unwritten rules in our family, in our culture, and they've, they've worked for a while. You know, God has given us defense mechanisms and in part is because we need them for a while but then we begin to rely on them instead of him and it actually arrests our development and our growth especially in sanctification in that wholeness and holiness so what were some things that helped you to take courage to identify those things man that's really really great I mean I think the gift of um, marriage was really really helpful um, in the sense of I feel like um, a great marriage is a mirror to your beauty and brokenness. Um, and my wife has been a real gift in that because um, she can she can tell you what triggers me. And, you know, she carries a cliff bar with her because she knows when I'm hungry, I'm, <laughs> I'm just a bad human. Uh, but I think also um, when I started to look and get really curious about my story, you know, and you start thinking about the the good parts of my story that I grew up in and where I grew up, but then also the, the more difficult parts and, and the stories that I had crafted. I always say that kids are very perceptive. They're just not always the best interpreters of reality. That's right. And so I perceived a lot, but it was the stories I crafted and told and believed and oriented and arranged my one and only life around that began to move me and drift from, I think, what God and Christ desired of me. And so having a good marriage, but I think also having a great mentor, um, and I have a few of them, and then also just doing good counseling, like shepherding work with people who I've given permission to, to actually say, what are you seeing in me? Um, and, and it's not easy. It's really not easy because as a three on the Enneagram, I, I, I want to achieve. I want to I protect my image at all costs. Um, but truth be told, like it's hard to get after the thing beneath the thing if you always have walls up. And I feel like it's in my surrender where God has been able to do his best work. And just every day trying to pick up that white flag and just say less of you, less of me, more of you um, has been a, a gift to invite that, that healing and wholeness in. 
Yeah, well, I love that you're giving testimony to taking courage during the work, being your real self, mm. finding your real self and your true self, being willing to be seen for yeah. who you are, being mm. vulnerable. It, it takes the vulnerability there to let people see those those insecurities and those areas and issues and pains and wounds, and yet there's no hope of getting help if we don't. Yeah. And so to step into the light of God's love and grace. Well, it's funny because you can have the, these these so-called mentors, and some, some people... You know, I, I refer to them as mentors just because I've, you know, I read what they post or I, I, I read their books like you two. And, you know, like we've 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 been able to interact a few times on online and stuff. But, you know, I mean, I feel like the journey of the soul was is it one of those books, you know, it's like when you start to like walk through and you begin to go, oh, like I had these inklings, but I didn't have language, right mm-hmm. language. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's a guidebook to actually help you engage in a more just honest and holistic and and really discipleship oriented way and so i i feel like um sometimes you might not know the person like but you might pick up their resource and go oh this was a gift this this was what i needed to almost break some of those unwritten rules that maybe my family had taught me or culture had taught me and and be able to go there is a new way there is a better way and I align my life more with that and i feel like that's what you both have done your whole soul shepherding team the site i just feel like there's so much that you are giving and i mean i feel like i could i can rave about you guys uh even about the sabbath work that you're doing just these practices that are helping people engage in more deeper and more beautiful and human ways yeah thanks for that and just for your story and what you're writing about, um, a theme here that I'm hearing and just celebrating is the integration of self-awareness with our, our devotion to Jesus and our, our service to the Lord. And, uh, you know, not a lot of us are living into that as leaders. And you're modeling for us, Steve, as an Enneagram 3, who's a doer, an achiever, image-oriented success, high capacity, very uh, tuned in to sort of the feelings and experiences of others, but the average Enneagram 3, not very aware of their own emotions. And so here you are doing that inner work and, and leaning into that, you know, that you, you ask the question, you know, why did I get so angry at those kids that, that threw that, that ice at me? And what is it that's going on in me that would have me be coming late to a meeting and, and then, you know, calling up your, your mentor and saying, look, this is what happened and, and, and help me understand what I'm feeling here. I mean, that's leaning into sort of the weakness of your, your personality and letting grace meet you there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing because Dallas Willard, who's, you know, just a, a hero of mine, I've had the, the privilege to be around him before he passed a few times. And, you know, he'd always say, you know, grace is opposed to earning, but it's never opposed to effort. And once I began to realize that that effort comes in, if I want to be someone who bears the fruit of the Spirit, um, that's going to take effort. It's not easy to be patient. It's not easy to, to, to kind of be a person of goodness or gentleness. Um, it's easy for me to be selfish. It's easy for me to, to choose what's the easiest road or the most secure road. Um, but I feel like the effort it takes, and he would talk about, you know, vision, intention, and means, and I'm just beginning to have a vision. And so I kind of wrote this, a life anchored in Jesus as one that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose and nothing to hide. Mm. And I have that, like it's on my office. It's, it's something I recite on a regular basis. And now every day I go, am I going to try and prove or am I going to try and allow Christ to be seen? 
am I gonna am I gonna try and deceive or hide or am I gonna allow my you know weak honest broken human self be seen and hopefully make more of grace in Christ and and am I gonna like live with scarcity like I can lose this or am I gonna trust that in the kingdom of God I have nothing to lose and when you live with that level of intentionality but then like I gotta have means or methods practices that are actually so when you talk about that you know that that prayer that watch and pray that's a prayer that was prepping Peter for leadership and if I want to be someone who wants to actually model patience I got to practice that I got to put that in practice all of that takes effort and the thing I've realized is nobody drifts into becoming the next Billy Graham nobody drifts towards holiness it takes effort effort and dependence and expect and and living with you know this expectant heart for more and more of God his love his son and his spirit well, really, the tools and soul shepherding that you affirmed us for have been just the overflow of our own training and just sharing with other people what God has taught us and done in us and, and through us as we've done that training. And that's what you're doing, too. And you're a great articulator mm-hmm. of your experience. And as you articulate that, other people say, oh, yes, that, that matches my inner experience, too. And so it's helpful for them because it does give them vision. Mm-hmm. And intention. Yeah. Well, and that vision is what can form the, the intention. You know, uh, we, te- we teach that uh, pain pushes us and vision pulls us. And those are the two ways that we grow. Either we're, either we're pushed by pain, by trouble in our life, or hopefully we get a vision of life with Jesus and a better life. And so that, when we have a good gospel vision of who we can be in Christ and how we are loved and the life that we can live as the Lord's servants, that can pull us towards a heart that that beats for Jesus, that beats with compassion for people. And we're going to find the means to change that if we've got a great vision. But if we're just sort of going through the motions, checking things off the list, uh, being dutiful or reacting to what people want us to do, then we're getting pulled in all different directions and we're not going to be in that transformational process. And that's, I think, what breaks my heart is when people get into their 40s or their 50s and they realize, oh, man, I, I was playing by these unwritten rules. I was playing by, oh, man, just these lies, these old tapes. And again, I just feel like the work that the three of us have been trying to do, whether from preaching or in counseling sessions or online through books, is just trying to help people to be awakened to a, to a more healthy and whole discipleship oriented life and um, and when people can realize that and create that and be kind of pulled into a new vision or own and name their pain to be pushed into a new vision man the transformation possibilities are endless endless what's a soul care practice for you Steve that sort of helps you get at the thing beneath the thing and get at the the grace that's I, I love that in your thing acronym grace is what's deepest it's the G and thing you yes. know and so what what's a, a practice that helps you really tap into God's grace for your life so I start most of my days with um, a, an exercise that walks me through um, specific um, environments in the scriptures so from the garden the question is where are you Uh, from Egypt in the last 24 hours where did you feel oppressed Sinai in the the last 24 hours where did God meet you Jerusalem which is like spider-man theology in the last 24 hours where were you responsible or irresponsible with unique unique gifts talents that God gave you Babylon which was the place of exile because they were irresponsible force allows me to look at the next 24 hours in the next 24 hours what's the next best right step and then I draw a cross, and I go, what do I need to surrender at the foot of the cross so that I can carry it well? 
and then I turn the page over and it's a blank page and because where the Spirit of the Lord is there's freedom and I write about an anthem that maybe I'm feeling uh, for that day and maybe it's you know rock shazak which is you know be strong and courageous in Hebrew maybe it's some other verse that's just uh, kind of just soaked into my bones um, and then I typically do a long four mile um, five mile hike or walk and I just try to just try to meditate and release some of that stuff that mm-hmm. that that really helps me I feel like for me to get into my body to be walking to be praying but also to be kind of writing or reflecting in God's word and through biblical places has been helpful for me those are great soul care practices mm-hmm. and trainings that you're doing there. And it's so important because our souls are eternal. Yes. Our life is going to live so much beyond our life today. And so to be intentional, to take that time to train and to relate to God and to get out in his creation and enjoy his beauty mm-hmm. and commune with him and listen to him is so important. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Such a great model for pastors because, you know, theology is really important to us. And so you just, you know, with like uh, seven uh, transitions there, moved us through the whole Bible <laughs> with key theological transitions. And then, but it's not just head theology, which is important, but it's also heart theology or lived theology or spiritual theology. And so you're reflecting, you're praying, you know, in my life, w- where am I here at this juncture? And how can I bring this into my day today as I walk it out with Jesus? So really encouraging. And then, you know, bringing that into a, like a walk or a hike or a run, because we're embodied, like you're saying, Christy. And sometimes we, I mean, we, we all know that, but sometimes we don't appreciate that as it relates to our spiritual disciplines and our soul care practices that, you know, our body's a temple of the Holy Spirit and we need to take care of our bodies. And you look at the, the research on, on pastors and a lot of us are not getting the exercise we need. We're not getting the sleep we need. We're working too much. We're eating unhealthy. And those kinds of things really take a toll on, on our soul. It, it drains away the life of God in us and it can really uh, inhibit our effectiveness for the gospel as well. Yeah, it's, I so, so agree. And it's, it's amazing because I think one of the great gifts is the incarnation and the fact that Jesus you know, took on flesh and bone like us. And, and I, I really, I mean, the, the amount of moments I started to just realize the feeling words that he used or the descriptions that he used. And, and we know what it's like when we leave a meeting and I'm like, oh, I feel it in my shoulders. I would never give credence to that. I'm like, why? And just getting more curious more humble, uh, more of a posture of listening. I feel like the more I'm able to, to lean into that, and I love that word that you use, that embodied, embodied, um, not just in the head, but in the in the body, in the heart, in the practice. And I think that merging of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Yeah. So uh, as we wrap up here, um, maybe you'd have uh, something more you'd want to say that we haven't asked you from your book, um, but just talking to our listeners, just imagining they're a pastor that's tired or a small group leader, a spiritual director, a missionary who's got some compassion fatigue and, and they're realizing, yeah, I got some stuff under, under the surface, I, I know, and, but I'm not, I don't know. I mean, I, you're inspiring me. This is encouraging. Um, what, what would you say to that, that leader? Yeah, I mean, first off, just thanks for what you do. I think to, to be a pastor, to be a missionary, to, to small group leader, in, in whatever capacity that you are upholding the words that Paul said to imitate me as I imitate Christ is, is, is just heavy and hard and stunning and beautiful work. Um, but I also know the truth be told from my own life, um, 
we can focus so much on our craft um, and let our character slip slip away. Mm-hmm. And I think um, for me, I, I would just implore or invite or ask you, um, what would it look like if your character was leading the way? Mm-hmm. And I think for our character to lead the way, it, it forces us to ask bigger questions. And you know, I'll take you back to, to ninth grade, Southern California, and I got a little bit of acne and I couldn't stand it because image is in the air that we breathe in Southern California. And I, I had studied all acne medication and I had learned about a new drug called Accutane. And no dermatologist in their right mind would give this to me because my face wasn't bad enough for it. But I had done the research and I was persistent as a three. I was driven. I knew what I needed. And finally, I got one doctor to say yes. My insurance allowed me to take blood tests and I showed up and each month to these tests. But the first month, my acne doubled. And the second month, it doubled from four to now eight. Third month, eight to 16. Fifth month, 16 to 32. And in my mind, I'm like, this didn't work. And I, I found myself just, um, my image God was being destroyed and decimated mm-hmm. and my own personal confidence was just being decimated. And I went into the doctor's office and I'm crying and I'll never forget him looking at me going, Steve, it's working, it's working. It has to get worse before it gets mm-hmm. better. And all of this serum has to come out of you. And I think oftentimes for many pastors, the fear is I can't open this box because Sunday's coming. Hmm. I can't engage with this because the small group meeting's coming. I can't do this because I'm in a fundraiser. And we stuff it down. But here's what I've come to find out. It will always come out. It will always come out. So you either wave the white flag, choose the posture of humility and surrender and allow that goodness of God's grace and kindness leading us to healthier repentance, to a place of his wholeness and goodness, or we keep running and we train wreck relationships, we train wreck our integrity, we train wreck our lives. And I've seen that up close. And I just don't want that for you. And I think one of the greatest gifts is when you can actually say, um, I'm going to get after that thing beneath the thing. Um, Not just for me, not just for my spouse, not just for my kids or grandkids, um, but for the people that you've entrusted me to shepherd and lead um, and for the sake of my integrity. So mm. hopefully that will encourage you. Um, but please uh, keep listening to this podcast. Keep following Bill and Christy. I mean, they are amazing guides um, who are just going to lead you to new wells of good, good, healthy spiritual waters. Mm. Thank you, Steve. Where can people get a hold of uh, your book, The Thing Beneath the Thing? Uh, you can go to thethingbeneaththething.com and you, or you can go to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and um, any major retailer and pick it up. Yeah, I hope that you'll do that, friends. It'll encourage you. It's a great book to hand to a friend, somebody in your church. So, so good having you on Soul Talk, Steve. Really enjoy it. Uh, Chrissy, could you uh, pray for us? Yes. Pray for our listeners? Yeah. Lord, thank you that you are our soul shepherd. And that you are speaking even now to each person who's been listening. We just ask, Lord, that you will guide them down the right path towards getting more emotionally honest and courageous and being willing to awaken to the truth of your stirring, your spirit stirring them, to trust you and to open up emotionally honest 
conversations with you, that you would provide each a, a healthy and safe place and mentor to be able to get real and honest with, with their triggers, Lord, with their hideouts, with their insecurities, with their narratives, and to let your grace touch them in each aspect of their soul to bring more about your healing, your redemption, your glory in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll talk with you next week, friends, on Soul Talks. Thank you. Would you or someone you know benefit from taking a sabbatical, but you really don't even know where to start? That's how Bill and I felt before we took our first sabbatical. But taking it and then journeying with so many people, helping them understand how to have a fruitful and important and good use of a sabbatical has taught us so much. And we've put together our learnings now for you or those in your life that you know and can point to this guide. It's sabbaticalguide.com. And on it, we put together tools for planning and scheduling. There's prayer and meditation guides. There's tools to help you in your marriage on your sabbatical. We have self-assessments like a burnout test and others, as well as resources to help your church during your sabbatical and practical ways to cultivate intimacy with Jesus during your sabbatical for you. We also are really excited about that we have trained several sabbatical coaches. These these are men and women of God in ministry who have taken sabbaticals themselves personally and been trained by us, and they're available to coach you personally during your sabbatical. So to find this and more, go to sabbaticalguide.com. Thank you for joining us on the Soul Talks podcast. To find out more about growing in your life and leadership, subscribe to the podcast and visit us at soulshepherding.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram 